Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today's topic is how to structure a business around your big idea. Okay, so little background. Uh, what we want to do here is present to you sort of a large concept, and then over the course of the next couple of episodes, break it down into some individual uh, sort of tactical approaches for each aspect of this larger concept. And today's overarching idea is to how, how to structure a business around your big idea. So let's start off. Rochelle, why, why do you think this is a good idea at all? Why would anybody structure a business around a big idea? Think about being able to use your best talents, your best skill sets, your operating essentially in your genius zone, right? And delivering a service to people that you really care about. I mean, this, this is the only way to work, really. <laughs> well, I mean, you could just get a day job, right? <laughs> That's true. There is something to be said for having a salary. So uh, for me, it's like, you know, having a salaried job, there's a, a certain degree of security there, perhaps an illusion of security, but it, it's there. And, and that's fine. And you can, you can work on a team that's doing big things. That's totally, totally valid. What we want to talk about is, or two, or the person we want to talk to is someone who has this sort of impact that they want to make. There's a particular wrong that they want to write or a change that they want to see made. And they have this insight that drives them forward to want to kind of evangelize that idea. And a couple of, a couple of things that we were thinking about uh, covering in more depth in future episodes, but uh, how would you structure a business, like in a, in a literal sense, like how would you structure a business to reach that goal in the most uh, effective way, I guess I would say? You know, I think everybody approaches this a little bit differently. I mean, what I tend to do is I like to think about, uh, I start with, you know, who's my client, right? Because that's where the money's going to come from, my client or my buyer. And what is it that they really need from me? What can they get from me, from you, that they can't get from anybody else in exactly the same way? Because I think that's where the, the kernel is of the big idea. It's what, what, do, what do you do that nobody else does exactly the, the same way? What's that transformation that you make with your client and your buyer? I talk about this all the time with coaching students where they they think about their craft and what they do. And it's not that they're passionate about it. They're very excited about the the mechanics of what they do. But a, a lot of times there's no, there's sort of a mercenary approach. Well, well, like I have these skills and I can apply them to anybody who needs these skills. So if you need these skills, you should come and hire me. And this is a fundamentally different proposition, I think, where you're saying, it's kind of starts out by saying I'm different, this idea or this idea is different. There's something different about this idea. This is some sort of unique insight. And it's, it differentiates you from people who might have similar skill sets or could potentially be considered, and I don't want to say competition, but you know what I mean? You know, when, when, when a client is thinking about hiring for let's just say uh, they need to have a rebranding or they need to redo their website or they want to make uh, their website more mobile friendly or they need a native app or something like oh okay let's do a google search and find a bunch of people that have those skills and and send out rfps and 
you know, fight everybody about price so we get the best possible price. This is fundamentally a different proposition. This is, you, you essentially become a monopoly of this idea or this, this um, expertise or whatever the change is that you're trying to make. And it puts you in a category of one. There's, you know, I've done this in the past where I've, you know, I've written a, a book. And when that book was extremely popular, my phone would just ring off the hook with people who were like, wow, you're the, really the only person we're thinking about hiring for this. This is specifically what we're looking for. And they're not even considering someone else. So from a business standpoint, it's really powerful in terms of lead generation, in terms of closing deals, so sales, and in terms of increasing your profits, but not just for yourself, also for your clients, because the clients are more bought into a process when they think they have the one and only. Well, I like the word you use, Jonathan, monopoly, because it, in my in my head, I was thinking it's kind of the difference between being a freelancer versus being a soloist. And it's still just one person. But with a freelancer, I think the mindset and, and all of the things you said are absolutely true. And then there's that mindset of how you look at yourself and your work. And the mindset of a freelancer is I'm renting myself out by the hour, the day, the week, the month. Whereas a soloist says, this is about this idea and this transformation I'm going to make with the client. And all of a sudden, as a soloist, you have that message and you have the ability to, like you did, write a book about it. You can speak about it. You can write about it. You can be active in social media. And you're building that name for yourself that's all around the idea. So you're not pushing yourself so much as you are that idea, that transformation. Absolutely. So it's funny because a lot of people have a really hard time taking the, putting, I guess being empathetic, that's the word I'm looking for, putting themselves in the shoes of the people who they could help and, and selling the change, not selling the activities that they'll engage in. So, you know, in my world, I'm, I consult primarily with independent software developers. They're highly aware of their skills, their craft. They think about it all the time. They go to conferences to get better at their craft. And they spend very, very little time comparatively thinking about the outcomes that are delivered to the client. Like, what is the outcome of, of this giant system that you just built? Like, you know that it works great. You know that your colleagues would be impressed if they saw the code. But how has that actually changed the business of the person who wrote you giant checks? They almost never can answer this question. And it, it sort of fascinates me because, you know, getting, switching the mindset from, you know, I can write all this code for you. Oh, you want me to write code? Here, I'll write a bunch of code. There you go. There's your code. That'll be $10,000. And just sort of abdicating the responsibility for whether or not the code that w was requested was even going to move uh, a needle for the business in any meaningful way. I'm, I'm often sort of draw a parallel to doctors and other professionals, like, like the sort of traditional professions that have, you know, they have governing bodies, you can be disbarred, you can be kicked out of the profession. That's not the case with really anybody I work with, you know, software developers, there's no bar association, there probably should be, but there isn't. And so, so it's difficult to be anything but a mercenary. I mean, that's where the word freelancer came from, freelance, mercenary. So I'll, I will fight for whoever's the highest bidder. And I don't really care about who's the good guy and the bad guy or really what happens. I just want the money. And I've got this skill with a weapon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
auction it off. And that's kind of, um, it's a, it's a fine place to start, I suppose. But you know, if you want to grow your business, you grow your specifically your profits, not headcount, but specifically grow your profits. Then I really think that the, the path is to flip the mindset and think, okay, I've got this, I've got these skills. Maybe they're valuable to this mom and pop pizza place. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they can afford to hire me to do something. Maybe they can't. But the, the, that equation or that decision is, exists in the mind of the, the owner of the mom and pop pizza place. Not like, oh, well, I write iOS apps for $200 an hour and that's that. That's what it's worth. That's the market rate. But that's not, that's not how buyers buy. They don't think of it like that. They're like, well, okay, but how many hours is it going to do? Like, how much am I going to end up paying for this mobile ordering app uh, if I want to not regret the purchase? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and it's not just software developers. It's, um, you know, I work mostly with consultants, and there's there's this thing about us, <laughs> we consultants, which is we get fascinated with the process. And, you know, if you look at the typical website for a consultant, it'll say, step one is this, and step two is this, and let us show you, you know, we'll give you a peek behind the curtain at all of our analytical stuff. And, and you can get really excited about that. The problem is clients don't care. They really don't. They want to know that you are expert enough to solve their problem. They love it if you can tell them stories about the outcomes that you've had. They love it even more if you can tell them their story of what that outcome is going to look like. And they need to know enough about the process so they can you know, get some comfort with it. But it's about the outcomes. And it's like the second, it's almost like a, a switch is being flipped when you're in a meeting like that, where the second you stop talking about the process, you kind of get yourself out of the weeds and you focus on the outcome, it can change the whole conversation. Oh, absolutely. Developers are especially guilty of, of wanting to talk about, instead of process, they want to talk about scope. They want to talk about how many tables, how many screens, mm -hmm. how many words. That's all they want to talk about because they think what they need to do next or what they're planning to do next is come up with an estimate of the number of hours it's going to take them to complete these activities. And what I tell them to do instead of that, to really kind of yank this lever all the way to the other end of the barrel is say, when you get into a meeting like that, try to talk the client out of hiring you. Give them every, every, like, let them explain what the project is and, you know, let them brain dump for 20 minutes or whatever it takes. And then say, okay, let's back up for a second. I, I don't understand how this, it makes business sense for you to hire me to do this. Why don't you guys do this internally? You, you know, you know, you just told me all the things about the project that you know need to be done. So kind of reject the notion that they are going to be able to give you a laundry list of stuff to do and you're going to do it. And instead turn around and say, what's the business case for you to spend all this money to hire me? Cause it's going to be expensive. I'll tell you right now, why would you hire me to do this when you could do it internally? And they'll say, Oh, we can't do it internally because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, well, all right, well, why don't you outsource it to Costa Rica or the Ukraine or something? Oh, we tried that before. And that didn't work because of the time zones. All right. Well, you know, and just keep going down the list. And exactly like you said, it completely changes the tone of the meeting because it forces them to think about, their ROI from engaging uh, with you. And all of a sudden you're talking about, okay, well, what's the, what's the outcome? Like, what is the goal that you're trying to achieve? I see this laundry list of things you want me to do, but you don't want them just for fun. You want them to 
move some needle. You know, you want them to increase your sales. You want them to decrease the bounce rate on your website or something. So what is that? Let's talk about that. Because if I don't know what that is, if I don't know what the goal is, the odds of me hitting it are pretty low. Well, the other thing that happens when you turn that conversation around is you're also building a relationship because you're essentially showing versus just telling them, oh, trust me, I care about you. You're showing them that you are interested in where you're being empathic. You're interested in where they are right now and helping them to get where they want to be, whether that solution is you or not you. And it's, it's, there's an ego part of that, I think, where we just have to let go of the ego and, and have that conversation. But it, oh my God, I've seen that so many times where it just builds that relationship. And sometimes you're starting to walk out the door and they're like, no, we want you to start right now. Can you, what, when are you going to get us your proposal? And you know, they get really excited about it because they feel that you really care about the outcome and that you want to do work that, that matters, that and it's good for you and good for them. Absolutely. So to bring this back to the idea of structuring a business based on a big idea, once you do this enough, I, I, maybe you can, maybe a, a really self-actualized individual would be able to sort of just conceive of this initially. And that's the only way they can imagine working with people. In my experience, most people start off with, you know, they worked at a job, they got a skill set, they went out on their own, they rented out the skill by the hour. And eventually they feel a little bit trapped by that and they start to look around for how I'm doing something wrong. I haven't increased my income in five years. I'm working harder than ever. I haven't taken a vacation in five years. So I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at a plateau and that's the point where you know, the, a person will come to me and I'll say, all right, well, I'll try to work with them to be, to uncover I don't know if big ideas, it, I, what I try to do is uncover their expertise. What is the, and I, and not expertise at building iOS apps, but their expertise in a particular kind of business change that they created or a particular kind of change for a particular kind of business so that they can, uh, and eventually that will lead to a big idea. Like all of a sudden they'll think, oh, I see what I do. Like now, now I, I see what I do for the clients, for my clients. I can see that they've all experienced this kind of a change in their business uh, or it could even be, uh, you know, it, it might not be a tangible bottom line sort of thing that the CFO is going to recognize, but it's, it's a, even if it's intangible, that can be a very valuable thing. In my world, they kind of back their way into this expertise or this the big idea of, of what it is that they do. How's it, but I'm sure that's different for people who are starting off at a more, call it a higher altitude in their career. You know, it's like somebody who already knows they're a consultant and not a freelancer. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I've seen sort of both sides of that coin. When you said expertise, it made me think of what I call a point of view, your point of view. So when I do work in this area, it the big idea, you know, by the time we're done, the big idea seems like so obvious that it feels like we started with it, but we never do. <laughs> and no matter how, you know, exalted a plane they're on, a lot of times, if, you know, if they're coming to me, they don't have the big idea articulated quite the right way usually. So it's that process. And I like, you know, the use of the word expertise, because that's usually where it starts, right? Because we all have some kind of an expertise that we're, we're trying to, to get more people to use. And so, you know, one place to start with that is to think about, well, what's your point of view around that expertise? And Jonathan, you've said, you know, you're advising people not to say that that expertise is just one software uh, type. 
right? So that expertise could be things like how you work with clients, how like literally the what does it feel like when clients work with you? What's that? You know, it's called client experience. What is it like? I mean, is it how you're returning phone calls to them or that you never talk to them on the phone, <laughs> that, that, you know, you go away and, and come back and meet with them and, and have some sort of a delivery. And what's your point of view around the change that your expertise makes with your client? Mm -hmm. I get a lot of pushback on the client experience thing because people, maybe developers as a group are, are very, rational or at least they think they are they, they pride themselves on being very rational is probably the way to put it mm -hmm. they often are like well you know the project is the project if the outcome is the outcome then the outcome is the outcome you know so if <laughs> if if right and they and i'm like i'm like no no you know if you if you're trying to get from new york to boston on a bus you could be strapped to the front of it or you could be inside driving it you end up in boston either way what's the difference and I always, I feel like when people are, when, when clients are paying developers by the hour to work on a project, they're, the client is strapped to the front of the bus the whole way. They're just, they don't, they have no control over the, the steering wheel is inside. They're <laughs> exposed to all the risk. Uh, the, the developer is doing who knows what behind the wheel and they can't even see, you know, and it's, it's a horrible experience. And I think if you've ever, well, you know, I'm speaking to developers now, if you've ever, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go hire somebody by the hour to redesign your website. And you'll, in, in five minutes, you'll understand what your clients have been talking about the whole time. So I'm just really piling on the, the idea of client experience being incredibly important. It's a huge factor. Oh, and, and I'm right in the midst of a, a website redesign myself, and I'm working with somebody who's given me a project price, um, but I'm sure he got that project price by thinking about how many hours it was going to take him to get there. Right. And and I can tell you, I won't, but I could tell you um, very specifically from the client's perspective what the experience has been like. And it's it's there's like one or two little inflection points where if somebody did it, it a little differently would have a huge impact on the quote unquote client experience. Mm -hmm. All right, great. So I th we've touched on a, a bunch of different topics, but just sort of skimmed across the surface at a high level. The next couple of shows, we're going to, you know, drill into some of these topics with more specificity, maybe get a little bit more tactical and uh, have some examples so you can kind of actualize this or, or at least imagine it, uh, applying it to your business, dear listener. Because we have stories. We sure do. We want to talk about um, niching, you know, should you niche and how to niche. We want to talk about uh, your sweet spot, your clients, buyers, your audience, and then how do you get your name out and your idea, marketing? How do you, you know, how do you build that audience? Are you looking forward to it? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. All right, folks, that's it for this week. We hope you join us next week for the Business of Authority.